Have you ever sat down and thought that you were supposed to start a podcast? Have you ever wondered how you're going to do that and how that will work? Anchor.fm is the link where this podcast is recorded. It is so helpful, so easy to do. Now, come on, people. If I can do it, y'all can do it. I'm telling you what. So (laughs) go to anchor.fm, start your podcast, and follow what God is calling you to do. Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually with podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff. You can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com or the Access More app. Hey guys, welcome to season seven of the Anchored by the Sword podcast. Seven seasons. Wow. Just so grateful every day for what God continues to do through this podcast by bringing amazing guests who are willing to share their stories for each and every one of you who continually show up once to twice a week to listen to these episodes and for sharing them with your people, and most of all to God for just opening doors that I never thought would be opened. I'm grateful each and every day, and so excited for you to hear the story of the person on the episode today. So, let's do this. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to another week of the Anchor by the Sword podcast. I am so excited to have Sandy Savage join us today on the podcast. I met Sandy through some podcasting uh, circles online and I heard her story and I was like, I want to have her on the podcast. So luckily we were able to uh, get this together and hang out. So Sandy, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me on. It is a, it is my pleasure. Absolutely. Can you tell my listeners more about yourself? Well, sure. Um, So my name is Sandy Savage and I am a ninth generation Kentuckian. I mean, we, we have been here in Kentucky for a long time. So I will try to, I'll tell you what, just in speaking on that, being uh, a ninth generation Kentuckian, sometimes if I am in a room with my mom and we start talking fast to each other, if you, I'm going to slow my speech down today. I <laughs> understand what I'm saying. It, I, my husband sometimes goes, what did you all say to each other? <laughs> okay. <laughs> my voice texting. I mean, some of the things that comes out with voice texting, you know, <laughs> I will slow my language down. Um, but yes, I'm ninth generation Kentuckian. Um, I have uh, gotten the opportunity to live really all over the world in, in lots of different countries. And I am currently uh, focusing so much of my time uh, on my little baby girl. We just had uh, our daughter last year. So she is almost 10 months old right now. And I am 51. So that is a challenge in itself of being a a first time parent over the age of 50. So... (laughs) 
It has been uh, a wild ride for sure. Uh, but the journey to get here was, you know, it was marked with a lot of challenge and a lot of hardship, but a lot of hope. So mm-hmm. uh, that is what I am spending my time a lot right now doing is, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing a memoir of all of the happenings up until this point mm-hmm. and um, working on putting together some fun stuff. Uh, we're, we're, going to start hosting international women's retreats and right now we're getting together our panel of speakers for that on what that's going to look like we're going to do that quarterly so i I still have a few things going on (laughs) in the background uh along with raising my baby girl i love that it does definitely sounds like you are busy (laughs) well i'll tell you what it is um i think that there are seasons of fullness Mm -hmm. in what you're doing as long as you understand that those are seasons and that it is okay to step back, take a breath, mm-hmm. get some, um, some rest in the middle of yeah. that. You know, I think that uh, a lot of times in our culture, it's go, 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 go. Yeah. And I lived that way for a long time. Just, I was a business strategist. I, d- I did. Um, I was just on all day long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not the right rhythm for me. So yeah. right now this is a full season, but I am able to take a day and just go, I'm just going to go play with my girl. Right. <laughs> We're going to go take a few walks in the park. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, you just have to find that right rhythm for your life. Mm-hmm. For sure. that is, oh, that is so true. So true. Yeah. We were talking about that off offline, that it's okay to step back. Like you said, that breath is necessary. <laughs> Yes. I think there's a reason that we have seasons, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like spring, fall, spring. like life is meant to be lived in those seasons mm-hmm. and, and you being aware of what season you're in and mm-hmm. where you're going, which season you're going to next, I think is pretty important in being able to live your life in a way that is actually living your life. Yeah. And not the things that you're doing, just solely driving everything that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely true. So you were talking about how you're writing your memoir about your uh, life story. So let's get into your story. Yo, mercy. (laughs) Okay. So in all uh, transparency, the first time someone asked me to tell my story to them Mm -hmm. of what my life looked like, it, (laughs) it took over two hours. Uh, Okay. (laughs) And, and, the, and what was happening was she, uh, I was about ready to tell my story at our church, the church that I went to. And so she was like, let's just, you know, talk it out. And she said, okay, now tomorrow, let's, let, we need to get this down to about seven minutes. <laughs> she said, but I am so excited that, you know, I heard the whole show, show, show. So let's get it down to seven minutes. So I'm like, okay. And this was, you know, over a decade ago. Yeah. You got more than seven minutes. So you're good. Almost two decades ago. Uh, (laughs) I'll just give you some of the, some of the highlights. Uh, Yeah. You got more than seven minutes. So you're good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So uh, yes, I'm born and raised in a small town, very small town in Kentucky. And in my early youth. So when I was still a single digit, um, kid, I found a stack of magazines uh, that I saw the images 
on the pages of that. And I went, oh, well, then that's what a woman is supposed to be, supposed to look like, supposed to do all of this. Mm -hmm. And it started to frame my mind in what I needed to look like, mm -hmm. act like, and be like. So I was at college for a year and met a guy. We got married quickly. Mm -hmm. And when we were on our honeymoon, he let me know that he had had an affair the night before. Wow. Our wedding. <laughs> but let me know on our honeymoon. So, <laughs> hey, thanks so much. So that compounded some of my insecurity. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was not able to forgive him in that. So we divorced shortly thereafter. It was a very short marriage. Mm -hmm. um, maybe a semester and a half long. <laughs> and... When I got divorced, I wasn't sure what I needed to do, where I wanted to go. I kind of wanted to escape Kentucky. Uh, so I spoke to a friend of mine who hooked me up with a job in North Carolina mm -hmm. at The Lost Colony, which is an outdoor drama. And I was a costumer there and I met my second husband there. He was 17 years older than me. He had lots of lots of compounding addictions and he was in the middle of a separation. Mm -hmm. So I was, I had like these stars in my eyes though with him mm -hmm. because he was charming. He was a dance instructor. Mm -hmm. He, um, I knew he was going through a hard time and I was like, mm, maybe I can step in and, you know, be this Save person, his <laughs> gap, you know, yeah, and yeah. what that ended up, it was such a dysfunctional, toxic relationship. At the end of that summer, he decided he wanted to keep trying, you know, to get back together with his wife, which, okay, great. Uh, but it left me stranded in a city, in a state that I had no way to get home mm -hmm. I was everyone from the cast and crew had already left so I was sitting outside of our cabins with a garbage bag full of clothes and not knowing how to get back to Kentucky mm -hmm. so I called a friend of mine and said could you please come pick me up and and bring me back to Kentucky which they did they drove down and then and then brought me back to Kentucky thankfully um but I didn't know that I was going to step into something worse mm -hmm. than all of that. So I ended up going to a city right outside of Cincinnati and started working in a go-go bar mm -hmm. to make some money. Thinking, well, my thought process in that was my last boyfriend that had left me stranded. He was a dancer. I knew how to dance. You know, this was not ballet. This was not modern dance, but it was something that I could, I felt like I could do. Mm -hmm. I didn't see any other job opportunities. There was not a lot of economic opportunities for, you know, a gal just coming out of Kentucky mm -hmm. uh, with a partial college degree that needed to make money fast. So I started go-go dancing and met mm -hmm. a man there that was probably 35 years older than me mm 
And I ended up moving in with him because I was homeless. And so I needed somewhere to stay. Mm -hmm. This man uh, proceeded to lock me in his house Mm -hmm. and wouldn't let me leave unless he was taking me directly to the go-go bar and back to the house. I started at that point stashing money away and he actually left me at the apartment one day. It was in the middle of the winter. Um, I had a phone card and I was able to contact the man that I had been dating the summer before uh, the dancer. I was able to contact him and say, Hey, I need to escape now. Uh, Could you please get a bus ticket at the bus station for me. This is the city that I'm in. And so he did, he did. He said, yes, Mm -hmm. I broke out a window and, and went directly back into this toxic relationship. I moved in with he and his wife and she left that weekend. And then we started, you know, I stayed with him. I stayed with him for uh, a few years. And in that he was not making money as a ballet instructor, you know, in the arts, sometimes you don't make, you know, you don't make money when you're, when you're pursuing your art. And so I said, well, you know, Hey, I was a go-go dancer up, up, up North. I could, let me just go to this strip club down the road. You know, it was that to me, it was like this normal progression. Mm -hmm. I said, and, and I can, I know I can make money there. I know I can make money there. And so I did, I went to a strip club that was, um, down the road from where we lived Mm -hmm. and I auditioned and they told me I could start working that night. Wow. So I started working Mm -hmm. in this club and started making money. My alcoholism and my drug addiction at that Mm -hmm. point were starting to ramp up Mm -hmm. now. I am 20 years old at this point. Mm -hmm. All of this has already happened and I'm still only 20 years old and he is 37. We went on a alcoholic drug fueled few years. Mm -hmm. And as I was gaining in fame in my chosen profession at that point then, Uh, We were moving around to a lot of cities Mm -hmm. and he was becoming increasingly and increasingly more violent. Mm -hmm. So he one day threatened to kill me and kill my family. And so again, I said, I need to escape. So in my mind, I started making that plan. I spoke to the club owner that uh, of the club I was working in and we Mm -hmm. were opening a club in Mexico city. Mm -hmm. He said, look, I can get you on a plane now and get you out of town, get you to this club and you can be in Mexico city for a month and work. This isn't okay. Uh, I I said, Hey, I'm going to go to Mexico city for, you know, a week and I'll be right back. Wait for me. I just have to go make some money. And so he said, all right, bring home some money. I went, great. I will. And I hopped on a plane and landed in Mexico city and stayed. (laughs) (laughs) 
I say, I was, uh, I was in Mexico city for eight years. Uh, so in that process, he, he literally, he went from threatening, uh, to hunt me down and kill me to he was going to um, hurt himself. There was, there was lots of different threats in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually he did let me file for divorce. So we did the divorce by mail. I never saw him again mm-hmm. after, after I escaped. I saw him at a distance at an airport, maybe 10 years later. Mm-hmm. And the, the emotion, the physical feeling of, is this person going to see me and hurt me? Mm-hmm. Like, rolled over me and I remember ducking behind a corner to make sure that he didn't see me Mm -hmm. Uh, but that was the that was the only time that I that I saw him Um, now once I landed in Mexico things didn't then just turn cheery (laughs) because I was in an entire country where I could easily access cocaine I could you know I was working in a club I was drinking a fifth of whatever every night. You know, my alcoholism and my drug addiction was peaking. Mm-hmm. And the week of July 15th in 1996, so this is when all this was going on mm-hmm. in 1996, uh, I hopped in a cab and asked the cab driver to go help me find cocaine. <laughs> that was my you know, big thing that I asked him to do. And instead, I ended up that night being raped by three police officers and the cab driver. And they dumped me on the side of the road and left me for dead. So the next morning I woke up, I had gravel in my legs, um, picked the gravel out, got up, walked back to my hotel and called my manager at the club and said, this has happened. I have a problem. I know that you know that I have a problem with drugs and alcohol. And she said, yes. Um, she called a representative at a 12 step meeting there in Mexico city and asked them to come and pick me up from my hotel mm-hmm. and take me to a meeting. So that night, July 15th, 1996 was my first day of sobriety. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this year we're coming up on over two decades of sobriety in it from drugs and alcohol. And that, that moment, like that act of kindness from my manager at the club did save my life. Had I gone much longer, still drinking and doing as many drugs as I was, I absolutely would have already died. Mm-hmm. So I started this path of sobriety. And once I got sober, my addiction shifted mm-hmm. and it shifted to money. Mm-hmm. So I started working like I became the person you wanted to work in your club. Mm-hmm. I was getting booked everywhere. I was, um, I was in Iceland. I was working in England. I was like, I was going all these places and I you know, it looked like I was at the pinnacle of this, you know, a so-called career. Um, I had contacted a friend of mine. We were about to buy a brothel and start 
a pornography production company together. Uh, so we met up in Miami and the plan was I was now going to become this, you know, madam and writer of pornography and um, make all my money that way, you know. So I, I was in Miami and I was at a porn convention and I was scouting for women because I had been booking women into Mexico to work from Europe. And so I was scouting women. Um, I was doing investigation into the industry. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was at the pool at the um, hotel in Miami. Mm-hmm. And I started to cry. Mm-hmm. Like it came out of nowhere. It was like, I just started to cry. And I was like, is this it? Is this all that our life is supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just running around. I don't really have great, great friends. And I'm just chasing after money. And I'm doing it in an industry that I don't like, that I don't feel empowered in I feel used in all the time is this it so that started a process where I went I went back to Mexico I was there maybe a couple of weeks and a friend of mine asked me to come back to Kentucky to sing at a wedding Mm -hmm. and I went up to Kentucky with a suitcase and at the time I I did not know the Lord Mm -hmm. But it was most definitely him. When I arrived in Kentucky, the thought of, I'm going to stay. I'm going to leave, leave my belongings in Mexico. I'm going to move home. And I did. I left everything in Mexico. I had my one suitcase of stuff. And um, I, I am, you know, back when we had, I am <laughs> the guy that I was living with and said, you know, put my stuff in storage. I'm not coming back. Mm-hmm. And I, and I moved back to Kentucky. Now, this friend of mine um, who, who, is, who has really been my best friend since we've been 15 years old. So I eventually broke down though. And I went with him. And I remember that first time that I stepped into that church. It was a little tiny church. Um, I was wearing gold leather pants, a silk shirt, and a black leather jacket smoking. I said, what are you Christians going to do with me now? and here's what happened like people just loved on me they were like hey how are you doing like it did it didn't even phase them mm-hmm. how I looked how I was acting they were just like hey come on in you want to sit with me this is great and um I was like oh okay well these seem like normal people uh they don't seem like people who who were trying to use me Mm-hmm. So, look, maybe I'll just give this thing a try and come back next week. Mm-hmm. I did. I started going, I started attending this church. And about six months later, I heard a talk where the uh, person from stage was, was explaining grace mm-hmm. and what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I had never really put it together like that because in my mind, like Jesus was a man. So what does a man want from me? Because men have always wanted something from me. Mm -hmm. And when they were like, you know, just a relationship, 
and you know, you can have a relationship with, with Christ. Let's pray. And I, I went, that is exactly what I want. Mm-hmm. I want to not feel this shame and this anxiety and this depression from who I've been. Mm-hmm. And so I gave my life to Christ that day. It was April 27th, 2002. Mm-hmm. And it was like my eyes opened. It was like I was seeing things in color for the first time. It felt like the weight that was on me fell. And I took a deep breath and felt like a completely different person. But a completely different person. When you, when you look at having a relationship with Jesus and you look at the before and the after of what that looks like, mm-hmm. I know in my life, things were very dark. Mm-hmm. I've, been, I've walked through a lot of things that not a lot of people have walked through. Thankfully, they haven't walked through that. The feeling that we have as humans is the same. Mm-hmm. the regret, the shame that we could carry, the anxiety that we can carry, the just feeling not good enough. Mm-hmm. I think everyone has felt that from whatever your history looks like. Mm-hmm. I think we all have felt that way. Now, after I gave my life to Christ, I dove in like, I found ministry. <laughs> I was like, this is, oh my gosh, man, this is what I'm doing. And I became, you know, worship leader there. Um, I ended up going on staff. I did a lot of the arts direction. Um, and eventually, you know, we started a group for women who were uh, recovering from pornography addiction it's, it's interesting that 33% of all pornography addiction is by women. Mm-hmm. And so at that time in 2005, there weren't a ton of resources right. for women who were recovering. And so we started a group there uh, and we had, you know, it became one of the largest in the United States because there wasn't a place before, you know, I think it was just that it was like, people went, oh my gosh. Yes, I struggle with this. Yes, I want this out of my life. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. So we had lots of women through there. We started um, ministry after ministry of people reaching out to women that were still working in the clubs um, and not in a you need to quit your job, but in a we're I'm going to love you where you are. If you want to. Great. Let's come up with a plan so that you're not just, you know, trying to quit your job and then not have income. So we, we created plans for women. Uh, we eventually ended up having uh, 13 cities internationally where there were teams going into clubs. Uh, I joined forces with some people and we started training people internationally on how to do outreach. So we trained over a hundred different organizations and there was, so all this was happening and I met my husband (laughs) who 
let me give you a, a picture of my husband. He, we decided early in our relationship that we would date like it was 1950 because I've never done that before. Yeah. You know, I, I was like, what? Okay, let's do this. Yeah. And we literally like wrote up a, a covenant and said, you know, okay, we're, uh, we'll sit on a couch together after X amount of time, you know, one point of contact, elbow, you know, that kind of, so we, we were like, let's do 1950. And we did. And I remember one day he was like having a, having a, a challenging day. And so I started massaging his shoulders because that was my automatic reaction. Mm-hmm. And he went, he said, how, he said, how, you can stop. He said, you don't have to make me feel better physically in order to make me feel better mentally. Mm. And I went, oh, wow, <laughs> that is different. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that, that's just the, the type of man. He's just an amazing, incredible, incredible human being. So we, uh, we ended up getting married. We decided to, um, I'll fast forward through all this because I know that was very long, very <laughs> long explanation about how I, how I got to where I was. Uh, we ended up moving to South Beach, Miami, mm-hmm. and we were the co-lead pastors of a church there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we met in a tattoo shop. <laughs> a, a friend of mine owned. We met we met through anti-trafficking, you know, organization stuff, and so she owned a tattoo shop. We started doing church in the tattoo shop in the mornings. So people could roll out of the club in South Beach and then roll into church and have some coffee, you know. And, <laughs> work. Um, and that was great. And we ended up actually partnering with a larger church down there and it became a multi-site of theirs. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, okay, we're released um, from this. You know, we built it. There you go. Now it's built. Uh, we ended up um, coming back to Kentucky through Baltimore. Mm-hmm. We moved around a whole ton too. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to Kentucky. And uh, I had passed off the nonprofit. So the nonprofit where the women had gone into clubs, reaching out, all of those cities became their own separate organizations. Mm-hmm. So they were able to just run and do their deal. And we started looking at, you know, okay, what's next? And uh, we had been wanting children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the year after we got married, I had breast cancer mm-hmm. and that was when our talks began with IVF doctors mm-hmm. because we knew that chemo was going to affect everything. Mm-hmm. I was already, you know, I turned 40 on our honeymoon. Mm-hmm. So it was already later in life. And at that point, we were like, we have to really, let's really go for this. So I started um, going through retrievals, transfers, all of that. Nothing worked. Mm-hmm. Like nothing was was um, coming to fruition in it. Mm-hmm. And one day it was um, out of the blue. My husband's brother's wife approached us and said, could Mm -hmm. you let me carry this child? Wow. And, you know, cause we had embryos frozen and she said, I can be a great oven. (laughs) Kids, You know, she was um, 14 years younger than me. And we said, are you sure about this? And she said, I feel like I've been preparing to do this for a long time. Mm -hmm. 
okay, we'll start this process. So it shifted to her transferring our embryos. And after a couple of times, we finally got the call that it was successful. Mm -hmm. And that is with our sweet Josephine. So she is uh, 10 months now. And Mm -hmm. that journey, you know, I, I got cancer when I was 40 and, and survived it and recovered from it with, you know, chemotherapy, double mastectomy, reconstruction, all of that. Mm -hmm. Then going through all of the treatment, you know, this is almost a decade of us trying to have a child, Mm -hmm. finally getting to do it, finally getting to be parents. And so she is almost 10 months old now and just a joy. Wow. She is a great combination of us. Uh-huh. She, she's savage. She, I mean, you know, <laughs> <she's> wild. <laughs> she is a joy. That is, that is for sure. All that being said. So, you know, my life is, uh, there's lots of things that have happened in it. Mm-hmm. There's been some good things. There's been some bad things. Uh, there's been things that have uh, been done to me. There are things that I've done to myself. And in the end, I can rest in the knowledge that I'm loved by my creator and that my identity isn't in any of that. Mm-hmm. It's not in the good stuff. It's not in the bad stuff. My identity is mm-hmm. not in any of it. Identity is not tied to it. You know, someone asked me the other day, you know, how is it that you can start businesses and start ministries and start and doing all this? And, you know, some things work and some things fail and you seem to be, you know, steady through it. I said, well, none of that stuff is defines me. This is just stuff I do. <laughs> you know, it's just stuff that I try out. It's like, hey, let's do this thing over here. Well, that I learned from that because mm-hmm. that failed you know, or this was successful. That's amazing, but it doesn't define who I am. Mm-hmm. So, um, we're in the spot now of just going, I, I really wanted to write the book. There's, you know, there's a lot of course that I skimmed over, didn't talk about, uh, with, with my history. So I'm writing the book in hopes that someone can see themselves in that story whether they went through that type of hardship or not. But I think we all have those feelings, you know, Mm -hmm. and that they can find hope on the other side of it, Mm -hmm. like I did. And, you know, it's one of the things with the retreats that we're starting. It is to find that resting place, Mm -hmm. that still place, that knowing who and whose you are place. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm working on now. But that's a little nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> that's the Raiders Digest version. You know, the shortened version, the cliff notes. <laughs> My history. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all of that and being so vulnerable with not only myself, but the listeners. And I know that some part of your story will definitely help them. Um, Just also seeing the hope and seeing the redemption that Jesus truly brings. So thank you again so much for sharing your story. I personally can't wait to read your book. Like I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) 
so you need an early reader you need somebody you got one like uh, uh, yeah absolutely yeah we're, we're rolling that out sometime in the fall like yeah <laughs> absolutely it's <laughs> copy yes ma'am <laughs> I'll, I'll read it early for you um <laughs> so uh when you were going through all this and coming out of this and starting to go to church and you know finding Jesus and all of those things what verses were ones that kept you anchored and really aided you in your journey you know Jeremiah 29 11 is is a verse that so many people like to you know for front of the plans I've got for you um for me you know if you read further in that like I will bring you our bigger home to your mm -hmm. lands that was a scripture that I held on to and I heard it in a different context than most people. Most people look at it. I won't say most people, but some people look at it in a, um, front of the plans I have for you, plans for hope and a future. And, a, you know, I looked at it like God telling me, I know the plans for you mm -hmm. and they bring hope and they, they are a future. Like you have that, but not in a, uh, a flowery sense, mm -hmm. but in a, just how about you follow my plan for a while because mine will create this hope and this future for you. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I held on to that scripture, just going, man, he knows these plans. He knows these plans. I don't have to know it. I don't have to know the how. I don't have to know the when. I just walk step by step mm -hmm. and he knows the plan. And so all I have to do is listen and follow. And I don't have to, I don't have to listen for the five years from now. I can listen for the five minutes from now mm -hmm. and just follow that. So that was really, you know, that scripture for me, it's something that I still, you know, to this day go, I don't have no plan. He's got the plan. Mm -hmm. I don't have to make up the plan. He's got the plan. If he doesn't want one of my plans to succeed, it won't. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because he knows the plans mm -hmm. that he has. That is true. And so now with your daughter and, every, you know, and the way everything's going right now, and you're talking about all the conferences and things, how are you seeing him move through all of that? It is a different level of joy and hardship that I think that I, that I knew I was going to experience on a personal mm -hmm. level. Like you could say, oh, that first year of having a baby is hard and go, Yes, you hear everybody say it's gonna, it's hard. It is nothing as hard as I thought. <laughs> like it, is, it is so challenging on lots yeah. of levels, but the the joy that you have in doing it is so deep too. And I think that that is a, um, you know, in order to to experience deep joy, like you do get to experience that deep heart and that deep. Mm -hmm. Uh, pushing through things so this season I really have just been um, one I took a step back from a lot of things that I was doing and said again I went into a listening mode I want to listen to see what Jesus wants to do in here what he wants to do in this season what are the things that I have learned through these past few seasons that could help someone else in their season mm -hmm. and so you know, for me, one of the things that I learned was, um, and I think with the pandemic, 
so many people lost a sense of community in that. Mm -hmm. And so even in writing the book, I was, I've been writing this book for seven years, eight Mm -hmm. years, nine years. You know, I I started, wrote the first line years ago. And it wasn't until I started pulling in people to go, hey, you think you could be my editor? Mm -hmm. You know, I started pulling, I started pulling in people around me Mm -hmm. to um, help this book continue on. (laughs) I just stay internalized. And I found a great, a great friend of mine is now my editor for the book who, you know, knows me well, was um, a pastor in a church that, that I worked at and just knows my voice and Mm -hmm. my story anyway. And, and they're incredible incredible editor mm-hmm. so in this season of even having a, a baby writing a book the retreats being able to do that in a community sense too mm-hmm. you know we're um, moving closer to my family and so that is more community for my child mm-hmm. and for me because mm-hmm. I think that we were meant to be in community with each other, mm-hmm. uh, bringing community into the book, bringing, um, you know, even for the retreat, it's, it's not me doing it all. It's a community of speakers and of women who are going to get to spur on other women. So being able to not just do it on my own, mm-hmm. I think a lot of, you know, there have been points in my history where I, it's me and Jesus and we're just doing this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, or it's me and Jesus and my husband, we're just doing this thing. But of going, no, it's, it's, it's the community. It's the mm-hmm. body of Christ and we're coming together and we are doing this thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the things what this season has looked like more has been because um, I, I am an introvert. Mm-hmm. And so I can sit and do stuff behind my computer myself. Mm-hmm. but ha- taking that risky step and saying, I'm going to bring community around me to do it. That has been a blessing that I didn't know I needed mm-hmm. in this season, you know, season's looking good. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you guys can't see, but I can see it on your face. It's like, <laughs> you guys can hear it in her voice and her laugh, but yeah, I can see it. Definitely. That's fun for sure. so sandy thank you so much again for coming on the podcast is there any last bit of encouragement that you have for my listeners i think that an encouragement that i've been living in that uh and this this harkens back to my 12 steps you know it's like just speaking from strength experience and hope you know i can only speak from my own circumstances of how uh things have affected me Mm -hmm. i can encourage someone else is you can do anything for a season. Mm -hmm. So no matter what season you're in, if it is a really hard one, it is only a season. Everything, everything is a season. It's Mm -hmm. built around it. And so if you're in that hard spot, understand that it is a season Mm -hmm. and that season will pass Mm -hmm. and you can do anything for a season you know I I 
I look at some just hard spots in my life and go, I know this season is only going to last for a few months. Mm-hmm. You know, on a lighter note, you can go when you bring a baby first home from the hospital and you're up every hour and a half, understanding that that is just a season and to enjoy that season while it's there, even though it's hard, helps you move to the next one. Mm-hmm. And so my encouragement to everyone is to just stop, take a breath and go, listen, this is a season and I can do anything for that, anything for a season. Mm-hmm. So I hope that helps somebody. It definitely will. Definitely will. Thank mm-hmm. you so much again for coming on and uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can go to my website, sandysavage.com, S-A-N-D-I-S-A-V-A-G-E.com, or uh, I hang out on Instagram more than anything. So that is Instagram.com, Sandy Savage, S-A-N-D-I-S-A-V-A-G-E. All right. I will put links to all of that in the show notes, and I'll talk to you guys next week. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. I pray that you are leaving not only inspired and encouraged, but also challenged through the story of the person who was on. If you enjoyed today's podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Leave a five-star review and rating so that other people can find this podcast. Share it with your friends, share it with your family, and let's continue to share true freedom that God brings. I love each and every one of you. God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.